0: Welcome to The Scrub Life, a podcast for and about the incredible profession of surgical technology. I'm Chris Blevins, and our mission at The Scrub Life is to educate the public about surgical technology. Each episode dives into the wonderful world of surgery, where we inform and hopefully entertain our listeners while interviewing amazing individuals within the field and presenting the hot topics everyone wants to know more about. Certified surgical technologists are an integral part of the sterile team that cares for patients in the operating room. Learn more about this exciting field the immense effort that goes into educating future CSTs, and how you too can become a ninja of the OR. Now, without further ado, here's the latest episode of The Scrub Life. Listeners, this particular episode of The Scrub Life podcast contains information and conversation that could be a trigger to those of you who are listening. We discuss suicide, mental illness, and substance abuse. It's a pretty raw conversation. So listeners, please be advised. All right. So hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode. This is actually the big season finale of season six. We have pushed out so many episodes this season in preparation for some big news, which we'll talk about later, but I can't think of a better topic to round out our season of the Scrub Life than what we're going to talk about today. Please welcome my dear guest, Tammy Pearson. Tammy is a CST, a CSFA. She's a FAST. I'm just so incredibly impressed. And you are also a member of the board of directors for ASP. Tammy, thank you for being here today. Thank you for spending your afternoon chatting with me on about something we're both like super passionate.
1: Absolutely. I could not have picked a better way to round out the end of this month. This is an honor to be here. Uh, I listen to your podcast faithfully. And so I feel like, I'm kind of in like, whoo, wow, look, here I am. So I, I am absolutely honored. Um, I feel like I'm sitting at the in in the really cool seat today.
0: Oh so my having me here. It is my pleasure. Yeah. I'm super
1: excited to be sharing this afternoon with you. Um uh I'm a member group and uh I'll never forget that. Yeah. So serve all of you and I hope that. I do my job dutifully.
0: <laughs> Serve well, my dear. Yes, absolutely. I want to just get to know you personally. You know, we know your credentialing and all that, but is there anything that you want to share on a personal level for the people listening so they can just kind of get to know you a little bit? Just took
1: a little couple of notes just about myself. I joined the surgical technology program at the Raleigh Technical Center. It was uh, the beginning of 2006. I graduated that program in 2007, and then I sat for the CST exam. Wow, that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. But I, um, it wasn't as scary as I really thought it was, honestly. So students out there, it's scary, but you know more than you think you know. Mm-hmm. So it's okay, you're gonna make it. And then immediately I started working at Capital Region Medical Center on the open heart team, right out of tech school. And that was a little intimidating, but it was a lot of fun. They kind of groomed me to what they wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. So I really get a lot of experience from other facilities, but I was kind of custom made to what they
0: wanted. I think and it's then- awesome because you didn't have any bad habits to undo yeah, I either. So you were like fresh meat. Exactly. That's what
1: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was going say. I was fresh meat.
0: Very cool. Well, I, I think that that's really awesome that they you even got that opportunity. It meant uh, that you were good you know, we don't let anybody just touch a heart, so that's a lot right there.
1: I think they were also really desperate, you know, I don't know. (laughs) There's
0: something for that, desperation. I think that has definitely gotten me into some places. Oh,
1: man. No, I, uh, but I also did spine and ortho, and I just kind of, I scrubbed everything when I was there, really. Um, It was a small facility, so... It's not like I was doing, you know, open heart transplants or, you know, any stretch of the imagination. And then I worked there in their main OR until about 2014 when I was approached to try out for the first assist for the general surgeon. And I'm like, I don't know about that. That seems like a big thing. I don't know if I have enough experience.
0: (laughs) I think that's where the term winging it comes (laughs) in.
1: So, so I took my two-plus years of experience that I had, <laughs> and I applied to the program and got in at Madisonville Community College in 2014, and then I graduated that program in 15 and took the CSFA exam. Holy cow, that was crazy. So but, what was that
0: like compared to the CST exam?
1: Oh, but wow. Just
0: equally scary?
1: It, it was... Actually, it was a lot more intimidating. However, because of my CST exam experience and my CST experience, I felt way more prepared for it. I really did. So awesome. even though I I didn't, you know, like you're doing lab values on pediatric and pediatric patients and positioning on, you know, your the gamut is huge on your questions but i felt so much more prepared for it because i had that cst background so it did feel a lot more comforting and i studied day one for that exam <laughs> like,
0: i think i think I'm that knowledge probably came from your cst as well because like cramming doesn't do anybody good if only our yeah. students would get that through there. Yeah.
1: yeah so i did that um, i did that until about 2000 and 17, 2018, and then an opportunity to become a surgical technology instructor opened up and I was like, yeah, yes, I love students because I always loved precepting. So I did that until the program had to change sponsorship and unfortunately, because I didn't have all the qualifications, I wasn't able to go with the program. So now I am currently at, am I allowed to say my facility? Heck yeah. You can say whatever you want. It's
0: my okay. point.
1: You can go for it. Oh, do what I
0: want. Okay. Well, it doesn't it stop me from opening my mouth. I don't know why I should stop anybody else.
1: <laughs> um, now I am currently practicing as in the role of a CST at um, St. Mary's at SSM Health in Jefferson City. And I love it. Uh, I work with a really great group of people. We have so much fun and patient care is like, Above and beyond reproach. No one can touch us. We're so good.
0: So Absolutely. I love it. I think that's really cool. In fact, I want to talk to you more as we go on in this podcast about how important it is to be surrounded by people that you actually like to work with. You know, not every day yes. in the hospital or in the educator seat uh, is a happy day. And so <laughs> it's nice to have people no. that you find, you know, your people, right? I mean, I use that turn all the time. Yes my people. So tell me what, what even made you become a certified surgical technologist? I always love hearing this path because I'm super curious. Nobody knows who we are. Nobody knows how important we are what we do in the operating room. And unless you knew someone or, or happen to work in medicine, some other way, people normally just kind of stumble into the field and then fall in love with it. So how did that happen
1: for you? Well, I was, I took care of my grandparents when I lived with them. And we were always at the doctor's office. And I will never forget, I was about 15 years old and we were sitting in the cardiothoracic surgeon's office. His name was Dr. Crouch. And years later, I have had the honor of working with him. And I did his very last open heart surgery with him. Yes, it was, oh my God, I'm not gonna cry. You're You're gonna cry.
0: For people who can't see my face, obviously no one, but like mouth open, how full circle was yes. that? Oh my God. How cool. I'm not crying. I'm not crying.
1: But and anyway, breathe. Um. So he was the reason I got into it because he took care of my grandpa. And he not only took care of my grandpa once, he took care of my grandpa twice. So it was... It just happened to be that the way he was explaining the type of surgery he was going to do the first time when I was 15, I was so enamored and so in awe. I was like, I want to do that, but I know I'm not smart enough to be a surgeon (laughs) and I don't want to go to medical school. So it just happened. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I know I can't pay for it. Yeah. So it just so happened that a high school counselor had left some brochures. They're just opened up a surgical technology program. So the brochures were in the counselor's office from a program that had just opened up at the high school or at the community college basically. And the like the trade school, RTC, RTI were the two trade schools that were in town. And because I was disqualified from the service, I thought, well, there's no way I can afford to pay for four years of college. For a psychology degree so I can do this I can definitely do this but then life was like no we're gonna throw some (laughs) curveballs at you instead so I (laughs) so I did a little bit of life Uh, and then three years later I ended up going down the surgical technology path as a mama Mm -hmm. and uh married and that was interesting going to school as a mom and a new mom and a wife that was fun trying to juggle those things. So I feel for those students out there trying to juggle home life and all of yeah. that.
0: Yeah, I mean, good grief. juggling is going to come up in our conversation too because uh, it's just a necessary evil right now, you know. Thank you for sharing that. I I am fascinated by how people stumble into surgical technology, and so uh, I love that your pathway wasn't just a straight arrow to the OR. Uh, no,
1: it's more of like, have you ever watched uh, Plinko, the game Plinko? Yes. Yeah, that was more mine.
0: <laughs> that's, perfect. that's perfect. Have you ever watched, have you ever played that that uh, game with the monkeys and you have to like hang them in certain areas and then all the oh. monkeys fall down and you make a huge mess? Yes. Yeah, that's the one I really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to this day, right? 20 something years later and I still cannot find all my purple monkeys. I just, I can't, Uh and maybe I shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, so now that we're getting crazy, let's kind of talk about it, really. So May is Mental Health Awareness Month. You and I are both extremely passionate about that. And we were going to record this podcast episode just a little earlier. So in researching this episode, I, I do a lot of research before most of my episodes, and I kept Google searching, like, where, where is mental health and surgical techs, even mental health and surgery? And all I could ever find is there was a ton of research out there about nurses, and t- even some specifically towards not just physicians, but, like, surgeons. But there isn't anything out there about the mental toll working in the operating room takes on our profession. I want to say that I was surprised, but I wasn't. I will say I was incensed. I was pretty mad. I just yeah. it speaks to my like soapbox that nobody knows what we do. That's a lot about why mental health is important to me, but can you just speak to your perspective on it and why why you're really passionate about that topic? Absolutely. Absolutely. For me, it's It's so personal
1: because what we do, our motto is patient first, but I think sometimes we forget in order to put that patient first, we have to put ourselves first because if we are not cognizant and in our right mindset and mentally ready to take care of that patient, we're not giving them the quality care that they deserve and we're not putting that patient first. And so I have seen so many people, including myself, experience the, I call it half mind, where your mind is half there and the other half of your mind is somewhere else, you know. And you're not really thinking about what is going on during surgery. You're distracted by what is going on in your own insanity, in your own, and I I don't mean insanity as a negative term. I mean insanity as in what your own turmoil is. You know, going on, and so so when you
0: came clinically,
1: correct, correct, correct. You know, when you're when you're going on with your own turmoil, that takes away from your reaction speed, that takes away from your setup time, that takes away from even your involvement in a team approach. For me personally, it was the same thing as you. You know, why is there nothing out there for me? Why can't I find some help specifically for me that why do I feel so alone? I felt so alone. Yeah, <laughs> I, right. I did.
0: I think that people because of the pandemic, I believe that we're better. There were horrible things, so much loss of life, but it did force us to look at healthcare and take a pause and have those healthcare providers basically advocate for themselves saying like we are not all right. We are exactly. drowning because you people will not put on a damn mask correctly. Exactly and we are losing our friends and family too. I do think that we were assisted in having the opportunity to be heard a little bit more, but not in surgery. Gosh, surgery, all, how many surgeries were canceled? Elective surgeries were canceled. We were put in different departments in the hospital just so that we could get hours wearing an N95 mask on top or underneath an operative mask. And then still putting on lead and turner. I mean, God, I could just go on and on about how the pandemic affected us. Were you practicing during I was. All of that craziness? I was, yes. And I was I started practicing
1: whenever they were starting to transition us to the floor. And that was a breaking moment for me. I had a horrible event where a patient was dying and I was a patient sitter and I was holding the patient's hand while she was actively dying in a room, a COVID-19 room. And it was an awful experience. And that was a huge trigger for me. And that was when it was, that was a breaking point for me when I said, enough is enough. I cannot handle this anymore. And I had to go out on medical leave for the first time. Um, And it was, Because I picked, that was my family there. That's how I, I mean, it just brought up so many things along with the stressors of work and the stressors of other things that I had going on that I didn't realize I even had going on. You know, I wasn't on the right medication and, you know, things like that, that I really didn't know until it all kind of came to a head,
0: so to speak. Well, I think, especially since we had such isolation restrictions. You were that patient's family in that. Yeah. What an honorable moment, I think, but absolutely I can see why it affected you. I don't know how one processes that well, quickly enough to just hop right back into an operating. Room. Yeah, yeah. And we were expected to. Absolutely, yeah. we're already good. We are at a national shortage of CSTs anyway. And then, of course, the pandemic did not help increase those numbers at all. Uh, so you're overworked. You're under a ton of pressure. You're in an environment that you don't know about. And then, of course, you know, we're dealing with our own personal, you know, mental games, I think, that we play in our head sometimes. I, you know, I'll share. Good grief. I suffer from anxiety. Uh, I'm highly functioning. Well, I don't know. We're going to define the term functioning really quickly today. <laughs> most people who know me know that, yeah, it really, the hype is real, man. She really is actually a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't know that we were ever allowed to say that in, uh, when we first started, because I think sometimes when you say like, I have anxiety or I can get, I mean, every, I have had two panic attack, attacks in my life that I thought, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack and. Thank God I was medically trained enough to know. No, child, like you're just losing your mind at the moment and you need to breathe. But I don't even think I would have been able to talk about that in just in the OR to my colleagues, let alone on a national podcast. <laughs> so we, we're we're getting there, but I think it's us being vulnerable and saying, I'm not perfect. I suffer from things too. Maybe it will help other people say, oh, I'm not alone. Like you were feeling, right? Right. Well,
1: and we're so conditioned to believe that our job is to let it roll off of our shoulders and to be machines. And we're not, we're humans. If we're going to have the ability to say, put the patient first, then we need to understand that there's
0: a human aspect of that. Yeah. And not just from compassion for the patient, but we have to have compassion for each other too. And I think that I was always concerned that if someone knew that there were moments where anxiety was almost paralyzing in my life, that they would then also relate that to me being incompetent. Absolutely. Like, or yes. not capable. And that would just bring on more anxiety. So I would fight it. I would fake it. I will swallow it down. And I would not share anything with anyone because I was so scared of them thinking that I A, couldn't handle something or B, was incapable of handling something. I, have you ever felt like that? Oh girl, you
1: are like, I, you're giving me goosebumps. So the, I have actually finally been diagnosed with bipolar type two. And I have dealt with this for as long as I can possibly remember. I have always pushed it down, pushed it down, pushed it down because the exact reason I didn't want anyone to think that I was incapable of doing my job when really it was um, to me, it was a flare up or a moment in my life when I just needed to get my <clears throat> together, you know, I just needed a second. And if I could just have a minute, I would be fine. And then I would push it down, push it down. But I would refuse to admit it as a weakness. It was a weakness. And that's what I attributed it to. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, you could have gotten help so many years ago if you just would have realized it was not your fault. It was not your flaw. It's a chemical imbalance. That's it. Now, you know, I look at it. I have the right sense of mind now when I'm having those moments, I will go to my manager and I'll say, I'm not safe for patient care. Yeah. And that's hard to say. (laughs) That's really hard to say, to tell my manager, I am not safe for patient care, but I have the right sense of mind now to know that.
0: Before I think we hit it, and, and yeah. then, like you said, that being in two places at once and not completely focusing on the patient all so that somebody would let you focus on the next patient, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have, I'm like an autoimmune walking disaster. And, uh, and it started when I was playing college volleyball. I played division one volleyball in New York. And then my thyroid decided to just take a leaping, like jump out of my body and, and quit. It's like, forget you, I'm over it. Thanks. 18, 19 years old. And my body was like, and then, oh, well, that's great. So, And and so not having a thyroid after all of those years, our thyroid controls serotonin levels. And, and it has so much to do with that endocrine system. Of course, the more I learned medically, the more I was like, oh, now it makes sense. I just thought I was going nuts. <laughs> Which maybe I was, but yeah. well, you were, but it wasn't your fault. It was, yeah. Yeah, good old, good old body. But then, uh, you know, once your body attacks one thing, it'll attack another and another and another. And so ultimately at 45 years old, I am, um, I am I'm not in remission. I'm, just, I'm fighting to get that way, but I have rheumatoid arthritis as well. Those physical ailments and a flare up there can also mess with your endocrine system because uh, it causes inflammation everywhere. And, and so I'm glad that I'm educated on the physiological side of it enough to be able to process those things and how they can affect me mentally. But there are a lot of people out there that maybe don't have that background to really understand. And if you can't understand what's happening, how are you going to advocate for yourself? And we tell our patients to advocate for themselves we tell our students and our colleagues to advocate for our patient. If you can't talk about it, if you don't totally get that this is a um, an imbalance in chemicals, you know, in neurochemicals, then how are you going to advocate for yourself? And if you're, more importantly, if, if you weren't supported by administration, did you ever feel like advocating for yourself in those instances was- I was-
1: did. I did. And I had- Unfortunately, I did have a moment where I advocated a little too late and ended up walking away from a job, leaving a bad taste in their mouth. And it wasn't because I was a poor performance, it was because of my absences. And I don't wanna say it was my fault, but in you know looking back, I could have been a little bit more clear maybe if i had a better diagnosis but i didn't have a good diagnosis so i didn't really know what was going on i just knew i couldn't i couldn't function and so i had to keep calling in calling in calling in and so i ended up just leaving that facility instead yeah and now i am so black to work in a facility that i am you know and it's all about how transparent you want to be mm-hmm. um, you don't have to be You don't have to be transparent, let's, you know, but I am transparent enough to where they know what is going on because I do believe it is such a patient safety issue for me Mm -hmm. because of my, my moods, um, and where my mind goes, not that I'm going to hurt somebody. Wow. I just made myself sound like a serial killer. (laughs) Um.
0: (laughs) Right. this is evidence, right? Yeah. Just play the fifth real quick, right now.
1: (laughs) I play the fifth, I play the fifth. But no. uh... (laughs) Oh, you can edit that, right?
0: (laughs) No way.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, It might make for a good comedic relief. It's good, no. (laughs) But it just, I work in such a facility now that they are very understanding and oriented on me getting better because they understand that it's not, a reflection on my skill set has nothing to do with the type of surgical technologist that I am. It's a condition that I have. It's not who I am. And so that makes a huge difference too, when you are supported by your employer.
0: Yeah. What, I'd, if you want to get this personal, of course you can tell me no, but what made you finally get the help that you needed? I guess how, now that you have the current diagnosis and medicinally, like you feel like you're in a really good spot, but that took a whole lot of effort to get there. How did you, how did that journey happen for you? To be quite honest,
1: and I'm going to just kind of throw this disclaimer out. This might be a trigger for some people. It was one too many suicide attempts, you know, unfortunately, um, that when you I'm, hit rock bottom, yeah. that usually will kind of wake you up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, and- I'm so proud to know you and I am just, I'm so honored that you were brave enough to even say that and oh, okay. share that. It's, it's courage like that that is going to help our friends and family and colleagues to talk about it. And so thank you, Ava. And I'm so glad that they were attempts, and you weren't successful because there are so many people that, that are successful. Um, I've lost family to, um, to suicide, uh, several. And that, oh God, it's an angry.
1: It is. And it, it just has feels problems. so bad. It does. And it has so many repercussions that are, you don't realize the rippling effect. And when you're in that moment and you're thinking of that step for
0: yourself, you're not thinking of those ripple effects. I'm a huge believer in therapy. Oh yeah, I'm gonna pay for that for longer than I'm gonna pay for my kids' college tuition. I just just forget retirement. We're just gonna cut that check every week, right? So I had close family that is also bipolar. And I just struggled really hard with how to, I felt like I was trying to support that person and I'm right here offering and that they, they just could not receive it. And so I'm going to share what my therapist said, because it was like eye opening for me and to comprehend what that looked like. She said, have you ever flowed or held your breath and sunk to the bottom of a pool? And you, you know, as a kid, you try to like sit down at the bottom of the pool. And so you're sitting Indian style, crisscross applesauce, and you look up and you can see other people at the top of the waterline. And sometimes you can even hear them because it's, you know, it's muffled, but you can still hear and see all of the people around you. But you are so surrounded by water that all of that is distorted and you can't. You can see people reaching down, but you can't reach up. Uh, You're well, you know. You can comprehend that all of that is there. And she was like, "That is the downside of bipolar." Yep. So, was that an accurate description for you? Like you relate to that?
1: Oh, absolutely. And for me, I tell my friends to put to keep with that analogy. I need someone to hold their breath and get down on the bottom of the on the pool with me, because I can't I can't do it myself. Yeah. And I have, um, not like skipping ahead or anything, but I have uh, safety measures in place and I have friends that know, Hey, if my husband calls you, you have to come and get me physically out of bed and get me physically out of the house (laughs) because I'm not doing okay. And you know, that means I'm about to hit the places where I'm not going to be safe. And these are recent, um, adjustments to my safety plan. The beauty about a safety plan is it's always changing because you're learning as you go what works and what doesn't work.
0: Um, I love that. I want to, I definitely want to hear more about that because I think we should probably end the podcast talking about like these different resources and and ideas. And I love that you, you personally have something that's working for you. I think that's going to help so many people. Why don't we take just a little bit of a break at this point? I feel like we're at a good kind of stopping point. Let's get, you know, get a glass of water. As I always say, like, I'm going to make sure that the house is not burnt down because my kids are capable of anything. And I want us to talk about, I know we've talked a lot about patient care, but I want us to segue into our other responsibilities because I think you and I have a lot in common with um, our professional pressures on kind of a bigger stage. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Oh yeah, And then let's talk about the the bright side of it, right? Uh, so if you need to crack a beer, ladies and gentlemen, uh, while we're talking about this, go ahead. Uh, we're getting really deep and really real, but God, I can't think of a better person to do it with. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pause and uh, we'll come right back, everybody. Hey everybody! Good news—the house is still standing, and mm-hmm. we just had this conversation. I know we're two out of four of my children are, so we're good. Um, and <laughs> Tammy's good there. So, all right, I guess we'll <laughs> keep going with the podcast. Uh, so we we've already talked about pressure, and that sometimes our role in the operating room, our mental state at the time that we're operating, is incredibly important that kind of distraction or inability to process things quickly can not be a good thing for the surgery. We're definitely not helping it to go more efficiently at that moment. Tammy, talk a little bit about your role on a national level. You are on the board of directors for AST. What other positions have you held within those kinds of committees or what's your external work like outside of the OR?
1: So I also sit on the Missouri State Assembly. I serve as the Missouri director. Um, Prior to that, I was on as president and then vice president and then secretary. And then when I very first started out, I was on the student committee. So I've been involved heavily with uh, the professional organization since I graduated really
0: you served on every role, practically, for the Missouri State Assembly. Now you've come to National. And you've been doing this since you were a student. All right, we're going to give a shout out. Because who is the person that got you involved from day one? Because I know somebody dragged your butt into all of this. Yeah. Yep. Let's, Let's brag on that person. Because there needs to be more people like that out there.
1: Her name. Well, there were two, actually. So... The first one was my preceptor was Shirley Dunaway, and she was the one that got me involved as a student. And then once I got involved as a student, good old Cindy Short kept me moving. So
0: (laughs) I love her. uh, Um, I blame those ladies. You know, she's been on the podcast.
1: (laughs) I know. Uh She she is. I love that woman. She is such a little, well, she's a little Spitfire. She won't yes. tell you that
0: though. But no, but is. that's the first term I thought about when you were like little. I was like, heck yeah, Spitfire. Yes. Yep. You said Shirley yeah. Denaway was your pre- was a preceptor at a hospital.
1: Yeah, she was the one who goes, Oh, well, I do this thing with the with the Missouri chapter is what she called it. So I'm thinking, oh well, that can't be that big if it's just a chapter. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, this is minimal. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And then I get there and she goes, and you're going to do this now. I'm like, what? So I was really kind of voluntold. Here, this is what you're going to do. What? Okay. (laughs) That was before I learned what that word, oh, I don't know. Somebody told it to me once. I think it's called no means. No. Yeah. That's that Uh word. No. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just now learning what that is.
0: Well, I always <laughs> say, I don't like it when I get told no. And so right. I think that that is just the universe and karma's way of getting back <laughs> at me and so when I throw a fit when I get told no, is that I have now lost the ability to say that word in yes. the first place. <laughs> yep. um, well, I love that you were encouraged to be a part of AST even as a student because part of the problem I think in our profession is uh, that we eat our young. If you haven't made that bright first impression or you do something stupid and we will write you off in a heartbeat, especially in the operating room. For a preceptor to do the exact opposite of that and actually mentor you, not just into that hospital or that surgeon's procedure, into our profession god that's so rare and we should oh, do yeah. it more often don't you think
1: oh absolutely Ours, if we mentored our students in the way that we want to see our profession grow instead of feeding them to the wolves or eating them ourselves we would see this profession grow exponentially
0: i'm going to tattoo that on my horse yeah <laughs> Come together, quit being a jerk. Quit. Yeah. I'm not very good at keeping my mouth shut, which is probably why I have a podcast. But I've been very good about keeping my mouth shut on these social media pages where people are just griping and gripe or discouraging yeah. our students or people that are saying, you know, I just started and I'm nervous and I'm scared I'm not going to be good enough. And then they're going to be like, because you're not. You won't ever be yeah. the stupidest profession in the whole world. Go be a nurse. <laughs> well, and,
1: and that goes back to that whole, you know, like that whole mentality of, you know, if that's all they're hearing, that negative influence, what are they going to think when they're having a negative day? They're just going to attach that negative influence to that negative day. Then that negative mindset is going to creep in. They're going to lower their self-confidence. They're going to have that negative experience and then it's just, it's going to snowball and their mental capacity is going to just keep, it's just going to continue to add and add and add and add until, you know, one in five adults suffer from some type of mental illness. That's a statistic. That's, that's on the WHO website, like that's on the CDC website, that's on every, mental health research website, you'll find one in five adults suffer from some type of form of mental illness. So that means one person
0: in the OR. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Tammy, that is a great way to put it. Yeah. At least because there are probably, there's typically between four and five people that are caring for that patient right smack in the middle of the OR. And if one of them is suffering from some form of mental disorder, I would say that the statistics However, many people that are suffering from some sort of mental disorder are actually getting treatment. Yeah. I would think that percentage is probably even lower, which is sad. Um, It's so hard. We're just, we're not together. And I've said that so many times, like we're not helping each other. And then we're griping about why aren't we having better pay? Why don't people acknowledge what we do? And why aren't we getting that recognition? Why are we so short-staffed? And then it's everything snowball. It's like the world's worst tornado in the OR. Because every one of those topics are intertwined yeah. and nothing's going well in all of them. And so now they just start to swirl and yes. it gets worse and worse. Somebody has to be the Wizard of Oz. Somebody's got to stop the damn tornado. Yeah. And I think that the only way we're going to do that is by having these blatant conversations about the fact that if you're bitter and you're that pissy and you want to destroy other people, you don't need to be in this position. That's exactly right. Bucky's down the street is paying a crap ton. Like, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then deal with people that aren't anesthetized. Have fun with that. (laughs) (laughs) But we, you know, so being these advocates... I think you and I both are. I was raised that if you see a problem, you go be a part of the solution or you're just as bad as the problem. That is my motivating force behind the work that I do on a national level. What is your motivating force? Because I know, is it because Cindy Short sees you all the time and will stop you?
1: (laughs) Don't beat me up. I'm just kidding, Cindy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's amazing. Cindy, you're awesome. No, it is definitely, <laughs> definitely that same mindset that I was raised. You know, my grandparents used to always tell me, if you see something, fix it. If, if it's something wrong, fix it. I think that that has just dealt with me in so many different ways on a personal level. I have always wanted to be the peacekeeper the fixer upper the one who wants to make sure that things are appeasable and I don't even know if that's a word I think I just made it up I don't know would trade market it's- there we go we're going to put a little circle around that one but you know I just want to make sure that people are enjoying the most out of what they what they are experiencing and I think in order to do that you have to really kind of clear out the obstacles and if someone is setting an obstacle and not trying to remove the obstacle, but just complaining about the obstacle. I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I just, I doesn't make any sense because I wasn't raised that way. I was raised to either move the obstacle yourself or go around
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. Go find something else. Yeah. (laughs) I love why you're on national and all of those commitments, but you full, full disclosure, the The pressure that comes with those leadership positions can be draining, not because you want the notoriety or the, I, I actually, I'm really bad. In fact, uh, one of the state assemblies <laughs> gripes at me because I never wear my name tag ever. I don't ever wear my lanyard. I, I, it's always with me in case somebody wants to call me out on it. But I never wear it because the idea that somebody will know my name was like, Really bad. I didn't want somebody to know who I was. I, you know, I wore a mask and a gown, and I was like incognito in surgery for a reason. Right. Uh, I liked the fact that nobody knew who we were. (laughs) So, just time and and service has changed that a bit for me, and it brings on so much pressure because I don't want to let anybody down. I don't want to. I don't want to screw up, Like there are so many people out there that would like to be in a position to serve. And for some reason, like I, I've been able to be in that position and I don't want to screw it up. Yeah. It's, yeah.
1: You feel almost like you have to be on, and I don't mean that in a bad sense, but I don't mean on as in like, you have to be something you're not. I mean, on as in you have to be available 24 seven and we forget that this is a volunteer service position and that we're doing it because we love it and we want to do it but i think sometimes it is so consuming that it takes have you ever heard of the term compassion fatigue
0: yes
1: and that's what that's what it kind of does to us it brings us to that moment where we have that compassion fatigue where it may not necessarily be you know, we're, we're dealing with a specific person, but we're dealing with the whole, the members at large and we want the best for the members at large. And so we always feel like we're on. And I don't mean, like I said, I don't mean on in a negative way. I mean, on as in always available, always reachable in a good sense.
0: I think always also just like focused in Absolutely. I try not to have so many squirrel moments where, because you want to actively listen because Absolutely. the people that are talking to you about these things that they too are passionate about, like that, it matters. You ever turn, uh what is it? Ambivert? Have you ever heard that? No. Educate no. me. Oh my gosh. So not that it's like some uh, clinical term or I swear I saw it on Facebook. So take that for what it is. <laughs> but it resonated with me as, a, as I've been griping about social media, right? So it was somebody who is quite capable of being extroverted and I enjoy people, but I don't recharge with people. I have to have that introverted time away from all of that in order to be like, I can't people all the time. At Mm -hmm. some point I will be in a fetal position in a corner of a hallway and I shut down And, and I was like, oh my God, that's me. Because I used to say I was totally introverted, and people were like, uh, "You stand on a stage and you talk like you're a liar." I was like, "No, no, like, I can do that, but I like really want to be Netflix and chilling with my golden doodle in my house, you know." <laughs> and uh, and so I saw that term, and I was like, "That yes, I, yeah. God, I feel that so deeply because I I want to be out there and I want to see people and I want to be involved." because like you said, we wanna make a difference. But afterwards, I have to hibernate for a little bit because that's the time that I can recharge in order to go out and do it again.
1: And that's the thing, finding a place, finding that center where you can recharge. So many people don't have the ability to know, oh, I need to recharge. Or even if it's not finding the ability to recharge, having that moment to say the word no so they can recharge. And then it turns into the compassion fatigue and they're constantly on and they never turn anything off. And so it turns into that bitterness and that resentment that they have towards their own field. And I, then-
0: I think my body came up with that. I think that's that was called RA. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I had this own yeah. internal block when I'm done, my body's like, and flare up, boop, there you go. Oh. <laughs> Whether I wanted to do it or not, right? Uh, my body's like, and you're done, tough.
1: Uh, I know whenever I come back from conferences, my husband is always like, and mom's going to be down for probably about a week <laughs> because I'm just like emotionally, physically, mentally drained. I can't, I'm done. I have to do the thing. I have to unplug. Yeah. I have to unplug for a little bit. And recharge. I have to do a lot of my own self-care and and kind of find my center again because I've given away so much to everybody else, which I love. I yeah. love. I'll give I'll give everything I have away because it's it's free. It's sh- really free. Please it's, take and it. it's super I'm <laughs> yeah. shocked. I'm shocked people even
0: want it. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's, that's such what? a great segue to the the kind of the last segment of our podcast, which is, gosh, we need, we have to recharge. And I think that especially as females where we are expected to be able to juggle mom, home, work, husband, you know, all of that. And then I don't think that there's a lot of room for error or grace for a lot of females out there. No. When, when maybe we, we can't juggle all of those roles equally. Right. And, and I think,
1: I I think we self-inflict that error for no error. We are definitely our own worst critic when it comes to that. Yeah.
0: I had a student that I was counseling once, and she was kind of talking about the same things we are. And I looked at her and I said, we are taught that we need to give 100% of ourselves to other people as a mom, right? Like you, you're supposed to give everything you have to these children that have destroyed your body. Like they're amazing. But I, I was telling her, you can only give a hundred percent of what you have. So like if you haven't refilled your glass, and I don't mean Merlot, right? All that <laughs> necessary. But if you have nanite. Yeah, well, there you go, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't discriminate, I assure you. So but if you if you haven't refilled your glass, then you're only giving so like if you're only operating at like 50% because you're exhausted and you're drained. You can only give a hundred percent of that 50. So like, really, who are you serving? Exactly. And then it was like, thank you, God, for those, for those words, because my colleague that was sitting right next to me looked at me and they was like, ever taken your own advice? <laughs> <laughs> right. Sometimes do yeah. you get yourself saying something out loud and going, oh, I think I needed
1: to hear that too, just as well. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, don't call me out in front of a student. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, I digress, but like that's it's so true. That's and I, you know, I believe in those God moments, like you said, where sometimes you're just like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. I I probably should do that too. And so that self love, but also I think you've talked so much about your support system, and there are people both personally for me in my support system, professionally, and it's kind of funny because my personal support system, you know, my parents, it's that I need them to, for, for those other roles, but professionally, nobody understands this the way that we do. Right. I, I will, gosh, Dave Blevins is like, you know, the Blevins twins, I'm sure y'all have heard, uh, but
1: yeah. he <laughs> not related,
0: but related, not related, not married, but around <laughs> each other all the time. Yeah. Just yeah. It's, a, it's almost like a brother sister thing. Yeah. It, you know, he is a massive support system for me professionally. Oh my gosh. Libby McCray, Ron Crisell, Kevin Craycraft. There are so many rock stars in our field. Chris Ahern. I could just name the entire field that I am just so blessed to know those people. And then of course, the only person that both segues both of those things is my, my partner in crime, which is Stephanie Austin. You know, we share a brain. I don't even have to say things. I can look at her and be like, I'm crumbling. And she's like, oh, I already knew. <laughs> so, But we need, we need those people. We need to recognize those people in our lives and we need to be vulnerable to them and say like, man, I'm not okay. And trust that they're not going to take advantage of that. Who is that for you? Right.
1: Well, and I want to touch on something that you just said. Vulnerability does not mean weakness.
0: mm. Vulnerability. I just to, to swallow what I was drinking, but preach.
1: <laughs> Vulnerability does not mean that you are weak or that you are insufficient or that you can't do it alone. Vulnerability just means that you recognize an area where you're going to need a little extra help and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. And my support system is, well, obviously my husband, you know, like he's my rock my mom my brothers definitely for my home life obviously and then my professional life I have like some of my girlfriends that I have who are also scrubs but who also like Jody Neff who is the president of Missouri now she's probably been my ride or die for the last gosh I can't even begin to explain <laughs> but her and I we talk to each other, like almost on a daily basis. And she's like, what are you doing? How are you doing? And if I even like remotely text something and it doesn't seem like it's right, she'll text me back. What's wrong? <laughs> like, how do you even know? Like, no. you're just reading
0: something. Yeah. yeah. Stephanie Austin will be the same thing. I didn't even have to text her. She was just like, something's going on.
1: Yeah. And then yeah. my Love sister and Amy is like my soul sister and she's always the one like she will come over here and even whenever I'm like no I'm fine she'll just come over here and be like okay let's have tea <laughs> like, okay and then she's like my insta therapist which is awesome because it's free I don't have a copay at that point it's just
0: incredible
1: <laughs> we, we used to joke because we um she has recently transitioned to a new facility now but We used to joke, we had one OR room, I'm not going to give it away, but we had one OR room that we would work in, and then when we were cleaning it up, we would use as our therapy room at the same time, so we'd be cleaning and crying at the same time while we were going through our therapy, because we also share the same therapist, and we're like, yes, I know, and we're mopping the floor while she's cleaning the counter, and...
0: (laughs) Some of my bet, I used. I was a trauma scrub, and I did liver transplants for you know forever. And uh, and I swear, some of the best cases I have ever scrubbed, I literally cried my way through. Yeah, (laughs) there's just sometimes you just need to like, there's no buildup, right? Like you can just process and release the entire time. You're like passing the (laughs) coulee, you know? Yeah, Yeah. it's a, it's good. I'm so, I just, I think it's important to recognize those people that are are ride or die. And you've also talked about a plan and your yep. safety plan. Can you just yep. take a few minutes and say, if somebody says, you know, I might need something like that. How do you even oh. go about that? What are the components?
1: So my safety plan looks like a, a tree. Look, okay, I can't draw. my My drawing is literally stick figures. So it's a
0: stick figure tree, if you will. My stick figures <laughs> suffer from scoliosis. So like, (laughs) so at the at the
1: at the base of my tree, which is okay. These are the numbers I can call if I'm having like a you know a not so great day, but it's not too bad. You know, like as you get further up the top of the tree, those are the numbers that I call. That okay, things are not going according to plan. This is where I really need help. And then underneath each of those is an example of a symptom that I'm having that is something that is not normal behavior for me. So I'll give you an example. So for me, an emotion that I might have that's not normal behavior is like rapid mood swings. So if I'm having some rapid mood swings and I'm not feeling myself and I try to call my husband, but my husband's not answering, then I might call the next person up my tree. And the next person up my tree, if they answer and they talk and, Either I feel better and I'm happy, then I'm good. I don't have to go up my tree anymore. But let's say I'm done talking to them and I start to feel more agitated. And then after that, because sometimes that does happen. Sometimes I have to continue up the tree. And then after the rapid mood swings, now I'm starting to have like a body response. I'm having more physical responses. My heart's starting to race. I'm having... Like I'll break out in sweats for no apparent reason. I'll have a physiological response, which is so weird to explain to someone when you have mental health problems, your body also does respond. It is also a physical
0: response as well. I think that's the definition of fibromyalgia, right? Like it's the physical manifestation of anxiety or whatever, you know, you're experiencing. Yeah. And
1: that's when I start calling like my therapist or my psychiatrist to find out, hey, this is what's going on. What can I do? Do I need to make an appointment? Do I need to see you? Do I need to come in? You know, to find out from a licensed professional at that time, if it's something that I need to address. If it's something that is actually a crisis crisis, where I find myself in a situation where I can't get a hold of anybody that I would normally talk to on my tree line, then I have a text number yeah. That I would be absolutely willing to share with anybody. It's on the NAMI website. I text that, and it's a crisis hotline, and they talk you through via text message. What What are your you know What's going on? And what is that, that?
0: usually? Can we share it both verbally, and then I'll also put it on yeah. our page because that's what a huge resource. Our phones are always yeah, it, on us, even in times. Of- you,
1: so you would text N A M I. To the number 741-741.
0: And someone will respond. Yeah. And you can have like a text. 24-7. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh man, that's incredible. I think back to the family that I lost and think that if they had just had that resource. Uh, yeah. That particular time, we everyone had missed a phone call. There weren't text messages. There weren't cell phones back then. And just, you know, life was happening and there wasn't anyone that that person could reach out to. Thank God if there had just been this. Yeah. Maybe. How do you, I guess, where did you go from recognizing that, you know, you were, you were suffering from, you know, this bipolar disorder and you finally got the correct diagnosis and medication, but how, how did you find the courage to activate your support tree Because I think that that's that step. Mm -hmm. Having the conversation with those people that matter, that's one thing. But having the self-awareness, I think, to recognize, like, hey, I need to activate this. That's That's a totally different beast, right?
1: It is. And it's, to be honest and very, very frank, it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of experiencing those moments and understanding yourself and knowing, okay, this isn't right. and Having the ability to see, all right, I'm not going to allow this to happen to myself. I don't want to be down this path again. And putting, my therapist always says it and I love it. She always says, put an obstacle in your path, put an obstacle in your way. And so that's what really has kind of changed my mindset is putting those obstacles. So anything I can put in my way to stop that mindset, I'll, I'll do it.
0: I think that's amazing. I love your therapist. I know. She's yeah. awesome. I, I remember even- <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're gonna get hurt some business out here too yeah I think that also we are seeing from a different perspective um I had a family member who's in the military who was mishandling alcohol and and relying on that for mental health yeah. uh, not the right drug yeah and but self-reporting is the only reason this person did not have their military career completely destroyed. I think that we are going down that path for other healthcare systems and these larger corporate conglomerates that also say, if you come to us and say you're you have a problem, you need help. There are statutes in place to protect your position while you're getting that help because they realize that you are a long-term investment and writing yeah. you off is not. Even a financial good decision, let alone from a human being standpoint. Absolutely. And I love that you uh, you have that support where you're at right now, uh, because I think on those bad days, it's people that we work for and with that make it Mm -hmm. make us come back the next day, right?
1: Well, and that's one thing too. You know, I was really scared to say anything to my employers. For one, I was brand new. Whenever. I was going through this second journey. I've been on this journey for a while, a lot longer than I want to be. And I'll be honest, I'm still currently out on medical leave because I haven't been able to find the right medication to get my mood swings in order. And so I have days where I'm, I'm feeling good. Like today is a good day but yesterday was a really craptastic day. But I also have some other things going on that kind of contribute to that outside of just the medication aspect. But I was terrified to talk to my employer and utilize my employee resources. But when I finally was like, okay, I can't handle it anymore. I've, I've got to do something. Some Nobody's going to speak up for me but me. No one's going to be my advocate. I have to do it myself. And so when I finally spoke up and started utilizing my resources, that's when I realized that there's free counseling on in my work. There's a hotline that you can call that has free counseling. So when there's been days at work on my lunch, whenever I would have really horrible days and I couldn't really kind of completely focus, but I wasn't to the line of, I shouldn't be here yet, but I just needed someone to kind of help me pull myself back together. I would call that number on my lunch and it was, I was able to kind of draw myself, put all my pieces back together, like Humpty Dumpty, so to speak, and kind of um, go at it again. The wall.
0: Right. No, I think that that's great. <laughs> yeah. and I also, uh, there are moments where just saying something will make a difference and, uh, you know, we're so willing to take medication for hypertension or willing to take medication for Uh, acid reflux and for headaches and with so many other things. And I think we need to normalize the fact that if you're on medication for chemical imbalance in your brain, why is there a stigma behind that when we don't hesitate for a second to take Zofran? I'm going down my (laughs) list in my pharmacy. There's Zofran, there's ibuprofen, there's my Humira that I inject. Why is there a stigma for taking medication to correct that imbalance? When there's not one, if you're suffering because your cholesterol is high, why? No, I I completely
1: agree with that for ourselves. And beat ourselves up on medication when it's there to help us. It was designed to help us. Yes, absolutely. Educate yourself on the type of medication that you're taking. Ask appropriate questions. Do the research. Don't just take it because you want to feel happy for 20 minutes, you know, take it because of the appropriate reason, obviously, but don't be afraid to take it because there's something that you need that your body is telling you you need. And not all medications have to be on full, like long-term, you know, and not all medications have bad reactions. Just because someone had a bad reaction to it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a bad reaction to it. So don't, always listen to the naysayers, you know, do your own research. There's a, I don't know if we can, I'm just gonna say it, but there's a test, there's a site out there called uh gene site testing that they can match you with the appropriate type of psychiatric medications. So that way you don't have to, that's what I'm in the process of trying to get done now. So that way I don't have to go through this trial and error every single
0: time. Yeah, they Some of the medications take a month at least to, to get at therapeutic level, don't they? Yeah. That's a yeah. long time. That's a lot of life being lived. It is it's
1: miserable because then you oh. go through, not trying to backtrack what I just said about, don't <laughs> listen to what people say, <laughs> but it's just, it's that miserable feeling of being in between medication transitioning. You know, that is a, that is a miserable feeling, but if you have the ability to do things like that, absolutely don't waste your resources. Utilize all the resources that you have at your at your disposal, especially if you are paying for it. <laughs> like
0: don't... yes, and so, <laughs> Amen. Gosh, <laughs> I think that we're lucky to live in a day and age where there is a basically a computer in our hands, twenty four seven, and everything is obtainable almost instantaneously. We need to obviously vet our sources and make sure that we are having a reliable source. Facebook neighborhood webpage is not who we should go to. I I call my father Dr. Google constantly because here you are with somebody who's spent a lot of their life in training for this (laughs) medical stuff. He will question me and then Google the heck out of it. And then come (laughs) back and be like, oh, hey, I Googled it. Did you know you were right? Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, dad. (laughs) Thank you. Send my bill in the mail. (laughs) We have to be careful, but I think advocating for yourself, but advocation takes number one knowledge that you don't know all the answers, which is, I think, hard for some of us search text
1: Definitely guilty is charged on that. Yeah.
0: But then it also takes vulnerability to recognize that, Hey, this is something is not going right. I also think though, that ultimately what it takes to get through it is hope and Absolutely. that recognition that you are worthy of having a life of happiness and joy and, and love. Have you ever heard that saying, like, don't believe everything you tell yourself? I love that. Right. I'm real bad it. about that. I will, I'm from the outside. I look like I am confident and shh master of imposter syndrome right here. Right. Uh, Yeah. I I think that's probably something many of us suffer from, but so I can fake it forever. Obviously not after this podcast, but don't you think that just telling yourself you deserve good things to happen is sometimes hard to do? So
1: I challenge people. This,
0: this is something that I do
1: whenever I'm having a really bad, when I'm having a really, I take a dry erase marker and I write things on my bathroom mirror that get me through the day. So I'll put, you're worth it, or I'll put quotes on there, like, just keep going, or never stop, never quit, or quitters for quitters, (laughs) quitting's for quitters, (laughs) (laughs) or like, you know, just little things like that. So I just, I challenge people to, to boost their own self-esteem. You know, you don't always, you don't always have to count on someone else to recognize you or boost boost your own self thoughts boost it yourself like sometimes I'll listen to a song that really gets me motivated and I'm like yeah I'm her that's me mm-hmm. and then I'm just like going to town singing that song in my car and then I'll roll up to work and walking out of the car like yeah that's who I am like I'm all pumped up Like I hear the song in my head but I cannot repeat it because I'm sure it will be edited <laughs>
0: definitely did- a good one when I walk into conference or if I'm speaking I yeah. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to speak everywhere, but I always have my AirPods in and I assure you it is gangster rap. Yes, girl. It's like, It was like nineties, California. I'm maybe 45, but by God, I know how to sing those songs. <laughs> you know? And that's what I'm listening to because I have to get in the zone. I have to be like, you can do this. Like there's a reason to have a microphone. Use it. You know? <laughs> because I, uh, I, I get that. So now if anybody sees me conferencing this, I, those AirPods are in, like, please don't take them out because there's bad no. words. <laughs> yeah. Like, please don't be like, what you yeah. listening to? You don't want to know. No, <laughs> I'm so glad like, you have to be your own cheerleader. And yeah. also I think sometimes when the pressure gets too high, I think on my social media pages, I tend to be super self-deprecating. If something bad's happening, you're probably going to know it. I'll post a picture about it. I think the reason that I d- it's an outlet, because don't believe the hype. Right. Nobody out there, no one in this entire world has all their chickens in a row. No. Half the town we don't even know what a chicken looks like. Literally. <laughs> Nobody is that good. No one has all the answers. Every single person puts their pants on one leg at a time. When the pressure to perform gets really, really big, I think that sometimes we have to realize like, we're all in the same boat, swimming through the same muck, and we just drown at different points. And so instead of being somebody who holds your head under the water, like be the person who's going to lift the other person up, because they'll do that for you when you need it. So man, uh, hey, I won't push your head underwater if you won't push mine. My- <laughs> No, I will help. I will
1: help hold your head up, girl.
0: We will. We will always be group doggy paddling for your <laughs> yes, and those of you listening, if Tammy or I are ever in the fetal position in a corner, just bring us wine. Just bring right. us wine. Tell us we're pretty and leave us alone. <laughs> we'll get back up. Well, I like I, dad jokes, by the way. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, then send over <laughs> Peggy Bernardo, please. Yes. <laughs> oh, just send Peggy over and she and her Facebook page can just be like, I love those jokes she posts. They're amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Well, Tammy, I never thought I, I wanted this season to end on this note because it just is the epitome of everything that I stand for with the podcast and, and as a practitioner and as an educator, but I also expected it to be pretty deep and heavy because this is such an incredibly important topic but i cannot tell you how happily surprised i am to have had so much laughter in Good. this episode as well thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for being a part of it and for being so vulnerable and honest with me and and sharing your journey because you are changing lives there are people out there like you and me who who never thought in a million years that Somebody should be talking about this. And so right. seeing seeing us do that, I hope, is maybe a light at the end of the tunnel for somebody else. So I'm going to give you the last word. You have a microphone and you can tell somebody that they're going to be okay or that you are who you are and and dealing with what you're dealing with. And then how do you want us to end with that today?
1: Well, I think that I want everyone to know that you are a fighter and you are strong and you're going to get through today just like you got through yesterday. And that today might feel like it's heavy and it might feel like it's really tough, but so are you. And that no matter how hard it feels, you are like that diamond. Your spirit might be crushed. You might feel like you can't go on any further, but you under pressure are gonna keep shining and you're gonna grow brighter and you're gonna get stronger. And that no matter what, there's always someone in your corner. And if that's someone someone you haven't met yet, and that means you got to keep fighting and you got to keep living to meet that person and love you and respect you, even though I haven't met you because you're worth it. And there's always someone out there, always someone out there who's going to listen to you. So don't quit and don't stop fighting.
0: And with that, thank you for listening. I couldn't have said it better. Grateful for you, Tammy Pearson. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this entire season. We have been so grateful for all of the continued support and big things are coming soon to the Scrub Life podcast. So please stay tuned. We will be uh, rebroadcasting some of our most popular episodes as we take just a simple, short summer break for uh, development of what is to be an incredible opportunity. So thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for supporting our podcast, for supporting each other, for supporting our profession. Stay tuned, y'all. We've got big things on the horizon, and we could not have done it without our amazing listeners. Thank you so
1: much for listening to this episode of The Scrub Life Podcast. If you
0: like what you hear, please subscribe and share. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Scrub Life Podcast. Show notes for this episode, as well as past episodes, our contact information and the virtual suggestion box can be found at our webpage, TheScrubLifePodcast.com This has been Chris Blevins and Stephanie Austin with The Scrub Life Podcast. Until next time, be safe, support each other, and stay sterile.